Hello and welcome to the Top Shelf Hockey Cast, where we talk hockey, mostly Islanders hockey. I am David Tuckman. Joining me as always, we have BD Goloff. You can follow him on Twitter at BD Goloff. Phil Farber, you can follow him at Phil's Facts on Twitter. I am at Tuck on Sports. And the nightmare season that is the New York Islanders 2021-22 campaign just continues to get worse. I was at the Los Angeles Kings game last night where they might have played their worst period of the entire year. Capped that off with a, a cherry on top with Barzal getting hurt. My kid was wearing a Barzal jersey. My cat is named Barzal. And the nightmare just continues. BD, when will it end? I don't know. Uh, it's not going to end. But I think that anybody that's still holding out for a playoff uh, aspirations is having it come to a crashing end uh, unless unless you're completely still in denial but uh, it, it, it's brutal and uh, as I go through and I've been sharing with you guys uh, some of the stuff from this season it's just terrible uh, and, terrible indeed and I don't really see it abating um, you know the, the the answer is to just to you know hopefully they get the message and start playing the kids Phil yeah, I mean, there's, there hasn't been a lot to take solace in over the past couple of days. Um, like you mentioned, Barzal getting hurt. I think the only thing that could be worse is if they go out and win a couple games right now without Barzal. And then, like you said, David, we were messaging about this arriving at the completely wrong conclusion that this team is better without Matt Barzal. And now they're, we're recording this as the Islanders are playing the Ducks. They're in the first period now up one nothing. I just shudder to think what might happen if they go into Colorado on Tuesday night, somehow manage to beat them by using unconventional means, because that's what it would have to be. And then they arrive at the conclusion that maybe Barzell has been holding back this team the entire time. And what stupid thing could we do along those lines? You know, it's funny. I've been an Islander fan for a long time. And while I don't think I would stop being an Islander fan, if Lou and Barry came to that conclusion, that, that would push me over the edge. I mean, I wouldn't literally jump over the edge, but I, I think that I would stop. I would just stop watching at that point. Because frankly, they wouldn't be. At that point, all those people that were saying the Islanders were boring for years when Barry took over, I'd actually be like, yeah, you're right. Um, Agreed. And so. it would be the kind of thing where it wouldn't be that they trade Barzell for nothing. They would go out and shop him to Winnipeg for Pierre Luc Dubois, big physical. Mm -hmm two-way centerman who's kind of mean or that type of player while so they can just grind it for years and years exactly <laughs> except they wouldn't get i mean dubois would be too young they, they would probably get more like uh like maybe like a philip dano no i mean my real my real <laughs> nightmare scenario this summer is is you trade barzal for whatever and then they just decide because of the lou connection with cadre to sign cadre to a seven-year, $8 million a year deal or something like that based on his absolutely bonkers season he's having in Colorado right now. Someone's going to do it. Of course. I mean, he, he deserves, listen, he deserves $8 million based on the production he has right now. I just don't want to be the team to give it to him. No, and, and I think, you know, good GMs out there don't pay for past production. They pay, they pay for what is going to be ahead. Uh, speaking of that, we have, we have uh, Noah Dobson. As you mentioned, we are actually filming this uh, in between the first and second period of the game with the New York Islanders and the Ducks. Dobson with his ninth goal of the season. And, 
you know, it was only a couple of months ago, I want to say maybe two and a half months ago, where people were thinking, are any Islander defensemen going to contribute offensively whatsoever? And with Pollock getting hurt and Noah Dobson taking over that power play role, while he certainly has his limits defensively and his deficiencies there, he still needs to add some weight and, and, and gets, uh, certainly get more aware in the defensive zone. And uh, we saw that last night versus the Kings in that first goal. I think offensively, at least, this might be the best offensive defenseman the New York Islanders have had in some time. Right, Phil? Yeah, I mean, he started off the season pretty slow. In October and November, he finished November with just four assists in 15 games. Looked pretty bad on the power play. I remember early in the season, there was a sequence against Chicago where DeBrinket was sprung for a short head and handed chance because Dobson just looked completely confused out there. But since then, including tonight, it's 32 games and 22 points. That's nine goals and 13 assists in his last 32 games, which is really good. I was messaging back and forth with BD this morning. I think the last time the Islanders had a defenseman who produced at this clip is probably Mark Streit, but he's been exceptional in the offensive zone, still has things to work on in the back end. But I know BD has maybe an alternative take on Dobson, and perhaps maybe we should be looking at upgrading by using him for a certain defender. So I definitely <laughs> wanted to... I definitely wanted to get Beatty's take. Not let that one pass that we chatted about. <laughs> well, yeah, well, for one thing, um, Dobson on offense has been really good. Um, but, the, you know, when he concentrates on the offense, the problem is, you know, it's not concentrating on the defense and the defender that's there is Chara, who knows the right things to do, but is not at the speed and, you know, higher level of play to offset that. And I think that's the, oh, the forget about the, there. BD, forget about this year. This year's this year. But, let, yeah. Let's assume this, this year's you, this year is just a shit house. There's nothing's going to happen. But, let's assume Chara is gone next year. Let's assume green is gone. Let's just talk about Dobson going forward. What's your take on Dobson now and going forward? Well, well Dobson. And I think he is the, the best, you know, they finally have a power play quarterback as they haven't had since uh, Lubinir Vishnowski, who is, you know, post Mark Strait, and I think that would be the only other guy that really could do that kind of stuff. However, you know, there is some thought that I've had in terms of getting someone like uh, Chikrin from Arizona, who, you know, is considered, and and if it it depends on who you listen to and which scouts and whatever, um, is a better second um second uh, defensive pairing guy and and it depends it really depends on what you view the ceiling of what dobson can do and is it enough and you know to run him with you know let's say mayfield next year or something like that or is there an opportunity to get someone who could be at a higher level in the long term, despite that he's, you know, not the same contract. He's a year older with Chikrin. He, he's two years Just older. A, oh, is he two years? He, I mean, he'll be, he'll be. Draft. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. going to be, uh, he's going to be so, 24 in uh, a month and Dobson and, just turned 22. And, and the thinking here is that to keep this team competitive with the aging people and the contracts that they have, if you got someone like Forsberg on offense and you got someone like Chikrin on and 
held on to Dobson, which would be the most ideal thing if you hope um, Beauvillier is the enough with uh, two firsts or something like that to make that kind of trade. And that depends on all other assets they're offered. Those are two different items of change that I think would be helpful for them to be more competitive and a little bit higher level in the, in, in the next couple of years. But that reality of Lou even doing that is, you know, pie in the sky thinking, because I don't even know if there's still, you know, if anybody's going to even be dealt, are they going to be sellers? Are, you know, they certainly shouldn't be buyers. No, so. they're not going to be buyers, but I think, put it this way, if there was a one-for-one offer exchange on the table right now between Dobson and Chikrin, I think Arizona would do it in a heartbeat. I do. I think just from, from a cost standpoint, he's going to be cheaper next year because he's cost controlled for the next five years. So you could really squeeze him however you want in RFA. And that's a franchise that always looks to save money. And just on the basis of productivity this year and six foot four right-handers who could move the puck and score and put up points in the way that Dobson can, doesn't exactly grow on trees. I think Chikrin has been a great player. I question as to why any team, especially the Islanders who, as we've discussed, are limited in assets, would pay retail prices while selling wholesale on a guy like Bavillier. And I know this is something that, that David is adamantly opposed to. Well, I, I just think, to me, asset management is, is key. And it's really painful from a fan's perspective, from a GM's perspective, to ever trade somebody at their height because they're playing well. Why would I trade somebody when they're playing so well? They're helping my team out. But you've got to realize that every other team thinks that too. Every other GM thinks that also. So when the player is playing well, you can get more for them. So if you think, and if you know your player is better than everybody else, and you think that you know player ABC is playing better than he, or, or their results, I should say, they're getting more goals and assists or whatever it is, if they are performing at a better rate, getting more production than they normally would, then maybe that's the time to trade them. So you don't have to pay them as much. You can get a little bit more for the value. I'm not trading Bo for 40 cents on the dollar, which is probably what you have to get right now. I mean, you think about Bo's value um, in, in August coming off of an amazing playoff run, right? Compare that to now. And, and it's, it's night and day. You know, just for Chikrin, by the way. And BD, I would love B. I, I mean, I think clearly... And I'm not going to try to guess what Lou is going to do. I have no idea. I didn't think Lou was going to go out and get J.G. Pajot a couple of years ago. I didn't think they were going to get Kyle Palmieri. This, you know, he's he's done things, and I don't think Lou is one that's just going to sit idly on his hands. So, but we'll see. I, I'm not a predictor of that. When it comes to Jacob Trickern, though, I, I think that I'm really scared about overpaying for somebody based on 2020-21 numbers where he had 18 goals. Everybody looked at those 18 goals and goes, wow. The problem is he shot an unsustainable 10.2% uh, for a defenseman. To put that in perspective, Noah Dobson going into tonight is only shooting, even though he's on the pace for, I don't know, 15 goals now, he's only shooting 6.8%, which is much more sustainable. It's still pretty high for a defenseman, but that's actually somewhat sustainable. 10% is not for a defenseman. So I just feel like you're overpaying for Chikorin's high shooting percentage. Um, I mean, it's not much different than, you know, overpaying for Philip Forsberg, who somebody is going to do. And unfortunately, or fortunately, he's a free agent, and that's how things go. I mean, he's a free agent, and he's going to get paid if he hits free agency. We know that. But for Chikorin, I would love to get him. I mean, I th clearly, we need to upgrade the defense. I mean, we can't come back with Green and Chara and Aho. That's a nightmare. 
but I'm not paying ridiculous price for Jacob Trickern, who's basically had, by the way, I mean, I want to throw the numbers at you. I mean, he had 20 points in 2018, 2019. He had 14 points in 2017, 2018. He has 15 this year. 15 points this year. I mean, I, I just don't know what the hoopla is about Jacob Chikrin. Um, it, it depends on the scouts that you speak to. It, some of them are very, very high on him. You know, but but, but at this the, point, he's in his prime is, right now. I mean, this is not like it's not like yeah. he's like 19 years old, and you're like, oh, oh maybe he'll get better. He's 24 in, in a month. Yeah, and you're I talking think playing about with Ryan Pollock could get better. I mean, listen, yeah. I think if you played him with Ryan Pollock. That goal tonight with the uh, Pajot line out there, that was a pairing of Dobson and Pellick. I, oh. I need to rewatch it and see exactly how how we got to that combination there. By the but, way, put that in my veins, please. Can we? We've talked about that before. And and if they're going to go away from Pollock and Pellick because they want to have more balance throughout their back end and then kind of throw them together for situational play, I think Dobson and Pellick would be a fine pairing next year. By I the way, everybody, solid. second period has started. I'm watching it, too. So we're going to be – if you see our reactions while you're going to hear us go, oh, whoa, you know, that, that's it. <laughs> Meanwhile, my TV is in the other room. So Okay, well, we'll let you know. <laughs> I think Salo and, and Mayfield would be a, a very strong third pairing. Yeah. And I think what you really need to solve for here is who can we go out and get for Ryan Pollock? How good does this player need to be because of who he's going to be playing with? And what assets are you willing to give up? What holes – are you willing to create in order to do that? Are we willing to throw in Bouvillier with multiple first round picks to do that? And I don't think opening up that hole in the forward group to solve for this makes much sense when adding in so much more. Well, okay. I'm going to throw a couple of the names at you, BD, because this is interesting. Right. Well, some can people... I throw one Please, thing go on, ahead. On, go on, ahead. on Bouvillier? I like Bouvillier, but to me, he is a complimentary player and complimentary players are expendable. Yeah. And that I think, that's the philosophy here. It's not that I'm dismissing Bo. I'm feeling that that's the piece because, you know, as you both reacted when I said, well, maybe Dobson in the first would do it. And I wouldn't even trade Dobson for Chikrin. I know. But the point was, is that somebody like Bo, who's a complimentary player, if that could make the deal, to me, that's worthwhile. Yes, I understand it creates gaps. By the I, way, I, I agree with I, you, BD. I, I think so. I think Bo is a really nice complimentary player. Um, you know, he's a middle six guy. I, ideally, whether it's uh, the second line winger or, or third line winger, he's a guy who's going to pop in. You know, eighteen to twenty six goals. He's he's proven in the playoffs to be very good. But he's a complimentary player. I have no problem giving him up in a trade that brings somebody back. You know, if you want to package him and get a Fiala. You know, something like that. Honestly, if you were telling me that we were going to sign somebody and then trade Bo for uh, Chikrin, I might be up for that. But I'm not doing the Bo in two ones for Chikrin. That's where I kind of was like, wait, what? Yeah. I mean, I just well, I don't see the value. Was, I don't see the value in Chikrin. Well, that was me uh, going based on what the price that they had Arizona, the rumored price that Arizona had set, which I don't know if any team would even meet anyway. But if that was the value, the only thing that I could think that the Islanders could offer was bow and two firsts. Two on one. Score. But that's. Uh, two on one score. The fourth who, line, baby. I think it was Sezekis from Cal Clutterbuck. Sezekis from Clutterbuck. I believe so. It was a two on one turned into a three on two. Yep, Zeker. 
So it's See, funny. My, Nobody my, else can my, get it. My, my, I mean, I think that that's going to be Zeker's six this year. My philosophy on Zeker, I know a lot of people, have, you know, are very critical of him and saying he's washed. I just think the thing with him is if he had a better, a better left winger than Matt Martin this season, he'd probably have more production. Wait, sorry, I'm sorry. That's Ross. Ross just Ross just literally left an Anaheim duck holding his jockstrap in the neutral zone, went right around him, then went wide. And then fed Zeker right in the front. The problem with Ross actually is he's just not physical enough. <laughs> I'm yeah, well, his, I'm there's your replacement for Barzal. <laughs> <laughs> I see. No doubt, no doubt. Ross. Oh wow! It looks like he got around two people, and it looks like he was. It looks like he was fouled also. Yeah, fouled. What's what sport? Fouled. <laughs> penalized. Penalty. Penalized. Penalty. Right. He drew a penalty. He caused someone else. He looked great there. It was a nice little play. Um, okay, so let's let's talk in. about some other situations here. So I, I, I don't think any of us have a problem with moving Bo. I just think, you know, okay, what are we moving him for? Is he a comp- By the way, as far as I'm concerned, outside of like Barzal and, and maybe Pellick, there's nobody on this team to me that's untouchable. You guys? Is there anybody that you wouldn't? I mean, and by the way, everybody's touchable. I mean, if somebody wants to throw me, you know, if somebody's talking Connor McDavid, hey, let, let's talk. But in, 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 let's, in reality, let's just, you know, stay in reality here. To me, the only two players on this team that I'm not touching at all are Pelic and Barzal. I don't know. You guys? Yeah, I agree. I, and I think there's, there's two categories. There's the untouchable category, and then there's the immovable category. Okay. <laughs> right. That's true. Anders Lee is immovable. Why he's a full no trade clause and no one's taking him four years, seven million. Right? If it was four years, five million, maybe. Right? Any player that has a full no trade clause currently on the Islanders, of which there are a handful, are probably just immovable. But untouchable, I mean, it would be kind of weird to trade Ryan Pellick as his eight-year extension kicks in. Pollock, yeah. Pollock. And in the right deal, you'd move Ryan Pollock, depending on what you're getting back there. Yeah, of course. Um I'm not looking but, to, like I'm not moving to I'm not looking to move Bowen. I'm not looking to move Pollock, but yeah, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Bovillier the Bovillier item is really interesting because already next year, based on what they've been doing with Josh Bailey, keeping him in the press box for these past couple games until Barzell came out. To me, and tell me if you disagree, BD. To me, this is an indication that they might be winding him down there. This might be the beginning of the end of Josh Bailey on Long Island. And that, that's, a, that's a role that needs to be filled. Now, Bailey wasn't doing Bailey's role well this year. Correct. But I don't think Kiefer Bellows on the second line is the long-term answer. No, I don't think he's, he's a bottom that. six player because he doesn't back check or forecheck well. He might be what you would call a top six type player, but not on a winning team, not on a team that wants to contend for anything. So you already need to fill Bailey's role probably, unless Beattie has a different take on that. And then you have to fill a Bailey's role, and then you have to fill Bovillier's role, which which makes the offseason task a little bit harder if you end up striking out on Forsberg or Goudreau or whomever might else make it to free agency that you would be interested in, Brian Rust, for example. Yeah, well, I, I agree. Um, you know, look, Bailey, first of all, I don't think he's I don't think a contract is movable. Um, I think that it you is could asset dump it though. True. But he could still be useful if you used him in the bottom, in the bottom six. But the problem is he's not being used in the bottom six. He's constantly thrown onto the top line and you know, it's, it's 
kind of strange that he, he constantly, I guess they keep hoping that, you know, I, as, as it doesn't make any sense because, you know, as much as Lou seems to keep forcing um, and trots to be Barzell to be a scorer, he's an elite playmaker who can score and putting, uh, and I think Phil, you had cited this, um, that uh, kept on putting Bailey, who's a playmaker on his side, is not really helpful. No. Unless you're still stuck in Barzell's your goal scorer. Yeah, but, but no, that, that's I, not, yeah, that's just, it, it's mind-numbing. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I agree with you. And I, I, fans need to understand that, that Barzell is being misused. He's been misused, and he continues to be misused. I literally, BD, I wrote an article about a year ago, right before the playoffs, and I said, Trotz needs to get uncomfortable. And basically, yeah. the, the thing was, I said, Barzal needs a player. And, and, and this, is, this is not a Bailey, you know, let's not dump on Bailey thing. I think even when Bailey was playing as well as Bailey has ever played, I don't think he's a particularly good mix with Barzal. I mean, you put complementary players together because they work well together. To me, putting Barzal with Bailey never made sense, even if I got good Bailey. <laughs> it's just not, it's not a good fit. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense nah. to me. You brought up Forsberg. You brought up Johnny Gaudreau. I want to bring up another name that I threw at BD, and I'm curious what your take is. Minnesota Wild have all sorts of cap issues. Kevin Fiala had a bit of a contract uh, um, issue last year in the offseason with Garen, their GM. He is a restricted free agent. He's going to want to get paid. He's young. He's 25 years old. This is a, a goal scorer, a, a, a fast, skilled, offensive player. And I don't know if Minnesota can afford him. What do you guys think about Fiala if uh, if, if the Islanders either A, strike out on Forsberg, or if they, they want to get two big guns? It, it reminds me of the Garth Snow era because he used to go around and try to pick on RFAs that they pinned as you know those kind of talents. Uh, trying to go in there and see if they could put together something. And, you know, that that's very much something that could happen um, here. Bloody, for example. Yeah. You know, that, but especially, uh, and they, and they tried for Jason Zucker. They had tried for uh, Palmieri when he first signed his, uh, when he was an RFA, they, they constantly would target, you know, when we would all say, "Is he going to do something? Do something?" And he would, tr- they would constantly try to, to pry and hope that they were, go- you know, these teams were going to be coughing on whatever the price was, and could kind of get them to, to do a trade. And that it never quite happened. Um, you know, on Barzal's line, you need somebody who can generate shots and be dangerous. And then, I, then you get the fans. No, you need a pure sniper, and that hits the vein that we've talked about before. That's not what you need, because the pure sniper is Ovi. A pure sniper is not someone that falls in your lap. It's somebody that you had to draft. I don't even know what a pure cultivate. I don't even know what a pure sniper is. I mean, I, I guess I they, can... they need a rifle and a and a. <laughs> I mean, what is what is that? What is a pure sniper? I mean, give me a guy who's a good hockey player who can also play really, really good, and he's skilled offensively. That I mean, there's a whole, a whole bunch of players like that. I mean, to say Ovechkin right. is only a shooter is so dismissive of his his talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. listen, I think I think the route of going and squeezing a cash or a cap strap team that has an attractive RFA 
or another attractive piece that they might not be able to keep because they're trying to keep RFAs is a very sensible route. And it's an interesting way to go about getting a really good player for cheap. We saw we had the misfortune of having to do that with Devontae's and Colorado took advantage. Someone is going to take advantage of Calgary this summer, I think, and get Sean Monahan pretty much for free because they need to resign Goudreau, Manjapani, and Kachuk. So these arbitrage, if you will, opportunities do exist out there. And I think Fiala would be a perfect one, depending on price. He's the kind of player that multiple teams will be in on, though, and, and Billy Guerin would probably have no shortage of offers. But if you can do something that makes sense there, Beauvillier, whatever else it might take, I'd look at Besser, too, in Vancouver, considering their cap situation and what are they going to be willing to pay him to, based on the mixed results he's had over the course of the past three seasons. By the way, Kevin Fiala, uh, with 60 goals over his last 164 games, covers the last three seasons. That is about a .365 goal per game rate, which equates to a 30-goal 30 30 player per year. Um, now, you might say, hey, but he's playing with Minnesota, who's got so much more offense. Uh, Minnesota was kind of considered like, um, like a poor man's Islanders a couple of years ago. Right. You know, they were, they, were not a te- right, they were not a team that scored a bunch before that. So even, even a couple of years ago, before Kaprizov was there, Fiala had 23 and 64. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy who can put the puck in the net. Um, he does generate shots. He's fast. He's skilled. Um, he's, he's definitely better than Beauvillier. There's not really any question about that. And he wouldn't have to overpay UFA. Uh, he's going to want money, though. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. But he's 25, that. though. He's 25, yeah, which is different than but, a 28 year old or a 29 year old. Right. I'm happy to yeah, pay. I'm happy to pay what, a 25 year old. That's exactly Absolutely. it. That's why it's worth it. You um, know, it. It certainly costs assets, but it's so much better of that paying that price when it comes to the contract. This team. I mean, uh, Varley last night, obviously, you know, wasn't great. Uh, the third goal, I don't know what he was thinking on that one. Uh, the fourth goal certainly could have been stopped. I'm watching Chara, by the way, get another dedication for uh, for. I mean, it, it feels like all and the propaganda and the Chara propaganda. Uh, Honestly, yeah. I mean, well, then it's I just terrible. saw Barry on like you know Barry is approaching the all time winning as coach and all this, and I just all these like it's like we're on this like strange victory tour. Um, to me, the biggest highlight of that night was Parisi's 400th goal. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's a bigger deal for this group than Chara's half dead ass being rolled out there every single night. Parisi's actually done something. Yeah, I want to talk about yeah, Parisi. Yeah, hasn't hurt the entire defense. No, and Parisi's been Chara, arguably our best fo- our best forward for the last month and a half. Every time they push Chara, go look at the standings. That's the bottom line. Chara, standings, defense can can't exit the zone. Can't I do want David all to these things. Thought, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. No, it's okay. I, I was just going to say, we talked about Parisi. I want to touch on that again. Chara, we know he's a, he's a dumpster fire. We've been over this. I mean, listen, there's a reason why the guy's making minimum salary and teams just keep letting him go, right? I mean, defense. I mean, who doesn't want a good veteran defenseman who can play physical if he could still move? Um, there's a reason why he was still available and the New York Islanders got him. Um, not for nothing, though. I want to get back to Barry Trotz for a second. Because while I think Barry Trotz is brilliant, and I think any fans that are calling for Barry Trotz to be fired are, are ridiculous, I do want – you touched on the Bailey on the first line thing. We talked about Aho being in the lineup. We talked about Shara being in the lineup. Is this Barry Trotz's worst season? I mean, coaches have good years and bad years. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you have your finger on the pulse of a team and you just know what makes them tick. 
This year, it just seems like the Islanders can't put three games in a row together worth anything. And it feels like, if anything, Barry is completely uh, in the dark as to how to get this particular team, you know, this 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 team this year this season's team to play consistently bd well he keeps going for the same buttons and the the same buttons are predictable and every time i read about his last couple years in nashville i see this year as the islanders and if you take a good look at that it's not not pretty and and you know the constant repetition doubling down tripling down the same things not willing to change becoming even more stubborn and not, uh, almost obstinate. And it, it, it's very frustrating because you're absolutely correct. Look, this team competed and, and we're at the doorstep thanks to Trots, thanks to this core of players that, of course, pre- preceded or predated them. And, um, and the Lou has helped the reputation of this uh, organization and filled the help fill those seats uh, in the new arena. There's not a doubt, but right now it's like two stubborn old men and it's very frustrating. You really hope that, that they can really start to, it's not the same thing. It's, you know, the old dog, you know, not willing to do any new tricks. You and I disagree wholeheartedly on the Lou thing. Now, I might mm-hmm. join your side of the party after I see what he does in the deadline in the summer. Mm-hmm. But as far as I'm concerned, I think Lou has done a masterful job up till now. You know, he mistakenly thought Chara had a season in him. He probably thought Martin had another season in him. And, and Josh Bailey, and, and frankly, coming off of Game 7 versus Tampa Bay, probably thought, hey, why do I want to rock the boat so much? Let's see if we can run it back one more time. So I'm going to give Lou the deadline in the summer. And by the way, I don't think Barry Trotz should be fired. I just... Just as an observer, as a fan of the game, I just think this is Barry Trotz's worst year. It's just, I mean, as I watch Sebastian Ajo play again and again and again, and I'm like, just the lineup decisions, um, the way he plays these players, it's just really weird to me. See, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me with Ajo because I'm at the point of at least see what you have now. So it's far, fine. It's fine now. Ajo hasn't been good. Right, right. But it's yes. fine now. But what about earlier in the season when we were actually trying to win? Yeah. I mean, how did he not recognize that Ajo was a, a worse option? Or that Salo is sitting at Bridgeport learning nothing because he is superior in every way to the AHL. It, it's crazy, and it is frustrating. Phil, what do you, what, what's your take on Trotz this year? My take on So up until recently, I was kind of torn as to who bears more of the responsibility for the season going off the rails between Trotz and Lou. And because of the Chara thing, I was I was heavily weighted toward Lou in terms of like, like 80, 20 at this point, I'm, I'm kind of, it's kind of both right there. There were options for trots. We just touched on Aho. I think Aho is the right type of player in terms of a mobile defenseman who kind of fits the mold of, of what you want on the back end. He's just not the right player for it. I think it's clear that that's the type of player like Gustafson, for example, who was at camp. Um, who should have been signed instead of Chara, and that falls on him. But I think there are, as you touched on before with Josh Bailey, there were lineup decisions that he rode with ad nauseum to the point where it actively hurt the team night in, night out. How is it that we get to game 45, and that's the first time we see a look of Barzell, Palmieri, Parisi with all the different line combinations we've seen? 
And that line looked really good. You know, BD spoke about Barzell needs people who can generate shots. He needs people who, who are going to put the puck on net. And Bailey, I think, is dead last in that category on the team, probably even behind Chara, although don't quote me on that because I haven't looked it up. I, I think you might be right. I might be right. But <laughs> the bottom line is there were options even on the roster for him to take advantage of. And he just simply didn't, right? How much how much better would this team have looked if Bailey was taken off the power play entirely at about game 15? How much better would this team have looked if they used Salo in a more functional role? Now, Pollock was hurt for a good deal of time, so they had to go with four lefties for a while. But I would imagine there's some form of advocacy that Trotz could do at a certain point where these are the pieces I need. And this is where I need you to, this is where I intend to put them in order for us to make a push over here. And it just never happened. Ross just continues to make plays, goes around a defenseman, makes a play. He passed the back, the, the, the point man, nobody was there, but he just continues to make plays. Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't think that, you know, I don't think we were going to, this, this Islander team was going to win this year, no matter what. I mean, the deck was certainly stacked against us. Uh, whether it was injuries, COVID, the 13-game road trip, everything just happening at the worst time possible. This was not our year, but I do think that Barry Trotz made it worse. Um, I do think that he tends to be stubborn with some of his veterans where he just he wants to let them work it through. <clears throat> I have made this point that I think that a coach at least should, and Barry certainly earned this, I think a coach should have their their hand on the pulse of what makes each player tick. You know, you don't coach every player the same. And, you know, having Dobson be a healthy scratch and watch the game from the press box one, that might actually help him. And I mentioned this on Twitter and I said, you know, the day they the, the day they make Bailey a healthy scratch, that's not to help him. It's to phase him out. So, it could be, it but we've like, seen. It seems like it worked for. <laughs> it seems like it worked a little bit now. Yeah, well, and we've seen him the sit other players for health reasons before, um, and cycled them back in. You know, the question is, you know, what do you do about that, and how that bears out for the rest of the season? I think that, you know, so far Bailey's work looks of age. At first, I thought maybe it was psyche over the summer being dangled. And, uh, you know, I even asked somebody, you know, on the Islanders and they were like, they don't think so. That uh, there's a point of profession, you know, it, ca it can screw with them a little bit, but eventually you go back to. And this is a guy and I think uh, Phil had said, you know, there's a, over a thousand games on him. Right. It's 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 it takes a toll. And. And let's you not know, forget, BD, to your, to your point, let's not forget this entire team, including Josh Bailey, who has 1,000 games on his legs, they all played an extra 40 games the last two off-seasons. And their off-season was shorter than a lot of other teams. That's not an excuse, yeah. but for a team that was... some of the reality. Right, yep. for a team that was getting by with a razor-thin margin. You know, this is not the Tampa Bay yes. Lightning. For a team that... Just being a little extra tired makes all... The, that could make the difference. It can. It, it's it's it definitely is a pivot. You know, they've been playing a certain way that requires um, and I'm sure this is a future uh, subject that we'll talk about later. Um, elite goaltending or above average goaltending night in and night out. It pivots on that a grinding style of play. And they've been doing it for two seasons straight. Um, and, you know, there, there's that also into the mix also. 
The uh, you, you made the pivot, so it's perfect. Uh, you talked about elite goaltending. Uh, Phil, what's what's your take on the goaltending as of late? It's been bad. And does it and does it change your mind on what we should do with Varley at the trade deadline? My my take on Varley at this point is unless you're going to be trading him for something that could be helpful next year and the future, I don't know if it makes sense to do it. I don't think you're going to get a first rounder for him just given the cap hit and the uh, the trade protection that he has where he gets to dictate to a certain extent as to where he goes. But just trading him for like a late second round pick or something like that and drafting that player and having a complete and total wild card playing with Sorokin next year, if you're planning on competing next year, I just I just don't think that's something that makes sense. Now, you know you could get a boatload of assets for a guy like Mayfield, and those could certainly be used in Beatty's ideal dream scenario for someone like Chikrin. Um, but the player I really wanted to address is what what do you do with Zach Parise? Let's go to him in a second because I just want to touch on the Varley thing. If you're only getting – I'm moving Varley if I can get a one, but if you're right and you can only get a two for Varley, well, then – you hold on to him, and if the Islanders don't turn it around next season, you just trade him next year because at the deadline you can get a two for him next year when he's on a, when he's uh, when he's on an expiring deal. Probably there's just no there's no upside in trading unless you know if we're trading something like you said if we're trading him for something that's going to help us next year. Let's say we trade him for a one, and then we use that one and something else to go get Chikrin. That makes more sense. But if we're just trading him to for a two and then drafting that player, well then in that case I'd rather keep Varley. For 55, 60 games next year. See if we can roll this back and, and, and have a better season next year. And if we don't, then you move Varley next deadline. I think that's a pretty fair take. Um, if the team can be competitive and Lou makes the changes and get some, you know, fills some of those positions, um, you know, you do need the you know, tandem like this is really key to be competitive because without it, you know, there is a gap, especially if they want to be competitive next year. Do they hope that they can get somebody? Because they can't go, you can't really go young if you really want to go for the cup, you know, like Scarrick, because you need somebody that is dependable and not have a another question mark. So I do think that if they can get a high value for Varley this year, even if, and even if Lou is contemplating it, then yes, hold on to him for another year. It doesn't hurt. Zach Parisi, you brought up. You know this guy has been on absolute fire. It felt like uh, a couple of months ago, everybody was talking about Zach Parisi. Is he ever going to score? Is he ever going to score? And and you and I, Phil, were kept saying the guy's still playing well. They're, they're going to bang in. This is not a terrible signing. Stick with them. And sure enough, they've been rewarded. Uh, seven goals now, fourteen assists. Remember, this guy is making nothing. I mean, he's on a minimum salary, um, but the numbers are even more impressed over the last 25 games or so. And, you know, for a guy with no cap hit whatsoever, you've got to think that another team like a Colorado, um, whether you're Vegas, you know, you've got to think that a team, a lot of teams would line up to have him. I mean, I don't know any playoff team that wouldn't want him in their bottom six. Yeah, I think any team would want him at a, especially because the Islanders are in a position where they can retain salary. So if they wanted to go and make him available for a prorated 375K to a cap strap team like Vegas, who could make that work, I think he'd look great on Vegas's third line. My question is 
weighing that versus, and I'm sure this is going to be a conversation he has with Lou versus just signing an extension for 750 K now and having him under contract next season and getting that done. And of course you could kind of work through a handshake type agreement, but once he's, once he's out the door, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe he falls in love with whichever city he gets sent to. Can you conceivably get a second round pick and even more for him? Maybe, maybe the guy's got obviously grade a pedigree heading into tonight. He had 14 points in his last 17 games. I think he's been playing, he's been playing incredible hockey. I just, to me, he, he seems like a part of the solution. Definitely not a part of the problem, but he seems a part of the solution for next year. If they want to get back to where they were the year before. I'm always of the opinion, and BD, I want you to step in right after this. I'm always of the opinion that the the best the best GMs out there, the best teams out there, are either selling or they're buying at the deadline. And if you're doing nothing and you're standing on, then you're just not being realistic with yourself. Um, I think you need to know where you're at. So you know, if Parisi, if, if to me, if we can get a lot for Parisi, we do. Maybe we try to bring him back anyway. Maybe there is a handshake deal. That would obviously be ideal. I'd love to have him back in Long Island next year. Um, you know, and, and I'm not moving Parisi for a four. If I'd rather just have him next year. But again, if I can get a second round pick for him, you know, suddenly those are assets. And for people out there thinking, well, what, what are you going to draft in the second round? No, but those are assets we can use to go get a, Chica, a Jacob Trickern, to go get a Kevin Fiala. You know, you're going to need to pick up assets because we don't have the prospects. So, I don't know, BD? What you could, what you could do, and look, uh, as I always said, Parisi is great. But no, um, obviously, <laughs> my, obviously my comment of comparing him to Leo was not uh, appropriate. And um, I do appreciate that he's playing well, and I just watched him in the first period where in uh, the – the, the old peas were uh, three peas making... in a, the, the three peas in a pod. Yeah, that's going were... to be the third line next year. By the way, the three peas in a pod. I'm coining it right now. <laughs> I'd love that. They I were, love that. They I were know. doing BD's, good work. BD standard for for old peas when Pajot's 29 and Mary just turned 31 <laughs> like yesterday. Well, <laughs> it, it's on the philosophy, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's usually a player's peak is 27, 28, and it's. And it's not like a, a shooting down scale. Well, by the way, I, actually, I'm going to stop you there because from an analytics point of view, there are a lot of people deep in analytics right now that are saying that players' prime is 24, 25. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask. Um, I'll, I'm not I'll saying like, I agree with that. I'm just telling you I'll that's ask, what. I will happily ask a, ho- ho- an, a true hockey analytics staff member to an NHL team that question. Because uh, I'll definitely try to get feedback because there's a big difference to the analytical community who do great work and don't get me wrong, but sometimes they go off on tangents that don't necessarily fall in line to the analytics of within a turn team. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you could argue that, you know, maybe a player physically is at their peak at 25 but maybe their mind is not where they they need it to be physically, and then you know for that's why I probably why a lot of defensemen actually you know start playing better at a little bit a longer age because they figure the game out. I mean, we saw Dobson last night. He has all the physical tools. Yeah, he has to gain five or eight pounds of muscle, but sometimes it's just a matter of defensive awareness and being in the right spot and and uh, not letting letting Trevor Moore out muscle you. <laughs> when you go back to Parisi, um, look, 
And especially by the way, nice save by Sorokin. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, well, he looks a lot sharper this game. Yeah, uh, than what we've seen. the The thing about Parisi is, and especially that I I really like to see that fourth line reconfigured. If Cal Clutterbuck is is moved, uh, if Matt Martin uh, is, is no longer on the team, Parisi becomes a very good bottom three, uh, bottom six tool, or in the pinch, if because you really want a high-end production on that top line, I don't feel like Parisi or Palmieri can sustain. I definitely think they can score, and we're seeing, but I also think that that can't be sustained. Um, but and then, I think that's fair, BD. Up there in the yeah pitch. for for eighty-two games. Listen, I you know you don't want Parisi on the top line for eighty-two games, but part of one of the things we had discussed and why I was excited about going into this year was unlike last year where the answer at top line left wing when Anders Lee went down was Leo Komarov. Oh yeah. This year, if you ever had a pinch situation now outside of COVID where you're missing your entire blue line and and six forwards, et cetera, but you see now you're able to slot Parise in and you don't have that dramatic drop off from Lee to Leo or from whomever, you know, random third line plug, Michael Dal Cole, who we've had previously or Tanner Fritz, et cetera. This year, you're talking about a guy who, who knows how to play the game as well as anyone. He just happens to have a ton of miles on his body, but still plays an effective game. And, and his motor just yeah. doesn't stop. I mean, the thing I love about Parisi is, I mean, you can almost compare him a little bit away to Peugeot. I know if Trotz is called Peugeot, kind of a Swiss Army knife. Parisi truly is that, and he's on minimum. You're talking about a guy that, you know, in a pinch can play power play. He can certainly kill penalties. He can play fourth-line minutes, and he does that well. He can play third-line minutes, and, and as you just mentioned, you know, in a pinch, you get an injury or two, and he can play left-wing one. Um, but, yeah, that's not ideal. I mean, can we please get, like, just free Barzal? Get Barzal some talented wingers to play with? I'm so desperate because I want to see, like, I really do think, like, if Barzal had, like, Fiala and Forsberg on his wings, you're talking about a guy who's going to get 75 assists every season. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it would be unbelievable. And he would actually – and these things are important because, yeah, he's an RFA again. But there's going to be a point where we run into UFA period. Has he been giving enough tools? And though that gets hyped up pre because we've lost, you know, JT and just in general, but it is something that you really want to give him and play him to his strengths. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If he doesn't feel like he's playing to his strength and he keeps on being pushed to be something that – He's not. That that matters. So, no, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that that means he's leaving. I don't know what motivates him. You know, I, I think winning cures all. I think you know if he's not getting, if he's not necessarily scoring goals and getting the assists, but they're winning and you know going deep in the playoffs. You know, maybe he's still happy nonetheless. But I mean, I, I think clearly, you know, you've got a guy who is is an elite playmaker, as you mentioned, and constantly when he gets the puck on his stick he just sets somebody up for a shot almost every play it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to figure out hey put guys on his line who can actually you know get open and score one would think uh end of the second period by the way two nothing islanders of course because i chose to go to the king's game last night and not the ducks game tonight (laughs) (laughs) that pajot line has been all over the place tonight no yeah, they're playing pretty well. They're they are they are uh, they're playing well. 
You know, there's pieces here. I mean, I, I I don't think it was an accident. You know, you don't you don't win multiple playoff series over three years by accident. You know, there are pieces here, and I think for the people on Twitter and the fans out there that are like, ah, blow it up, the season's over. I I just caution. I mean, you're talking about you know what we played less than 50 games so far. You know, the sample size is still relatively small. This has been a complete shit show, and, and I don't think that this season this season is necessarily indicative of what this team is. But we've got an interesting offseason and certainly a very interesting deadline to look forward to. Right, guys? Agreed. Uh, curious to see where we go in three weeks from now. Uh, deadlines could be interesting. Right, another route that we didn't discuss, facilitating trades to take on assets. I don't know if that's loose style where you, where you hold on to 50% of Drew or something like that to facilitate that trade. But again, they've got all their retention spots open. So they've got they could retain salary on three players. They've got all the contract spots available to them because they've had a bunch of contract terminations and Zarnik went on waiver. So they are perfectly situated to have an active deadline, even if they don't necessarily move anyone off the roster. They could still pick up some pieces. BD, I want to throw something at you, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll put a bow on this, baby. If there is one move that Lou could do at the deadline and one move in the offseason – that you could just you could brainwash him and make him do it. What would be the one move at the deadline that you would want, and the one move at in the offseason? Well, the move in the deadline would be. Let me just ask David for a qualifier on that. Does it have to be within his control? Yes. You can't say just like sign Johnny Gaudreau, right? <laughs> right. No, but I mean, you could say no. You could say that. I'm okay at that. If that's the move. I mean, obviously, hey, listen, we're hoping for that, but I'm just. Okay. What is the move that you would want to see? Well, it it depends here. Here's one thing that, if if it's even possible, is can you grab? Is despite this season, the playoffs is gone, and I think I've talked about this once before. Do you take advantage of negotiation and make a deal for Forsberg, who has no choice, um, to, to grab him to be able to? show and use reputation and seriousness to seal up Forsberg. I talked at this about I talked to this uh, at length with Jeff Capellini on Twitter and I said the problem with that because I'm not against trading for somebody who's going to be a UFA and then signing them you know that works a lot in hockey more so than it does in other sports. The issue with that is that we have so few assets that are actually worth anything. If we do make some trades and acquire assets, I'd rather use those assets to plug up another hole because we still have that left defense problem. And I think if we use the assets to get Forsberg, then we can't address the other issues on this team. That's my only caveat. I also question as to whether or not Forsberg would want to do a sign and trade right now. More likely than not, unless it's the Kings who have a boatload of cap space and his best bud, Victor Arvitz, in there, more likely than not, he gets traded to a super contending team like maybe the Maple Leafs who now have cap space because of Muzzin, maybe even the Rangers, probably to a team that can't afford him next year. And why would he want to go and lock himself up into a long-term deal on a team that can't compete this year? I mean, logically speaking, wouldn't you want to first compete for a cup at the age of 27, have a cup of coffee, maybe it works out, maybe you go all the way this year with, with whomever, and then test the market and speak with your list of six to eight teams in the summer. To me, logically speaking, I just don't see why Forsberg would agree to a Mark Stone, J.G. Pajot 
type sign and trade like those players did in previous seasons. I I agree that the chances of that is slim to none. I just if we were in a playoff spot, maybe. But I just yeah. feel like once it goes to UFA, no, um, there's a good chance it, we won't get him. It, he yeah, might go to he might go to Dallas. He might go to LA. Just you know, flies out of control. But and, I'll I'll throw this at you, do To me. You know, you talk about paying for somebody who's having a career year. I mean, Forsberg is a legit 30-goal scorer. I mean, this guy's a machine. He's great. He's a generator, an offensive generator. I, I am not I'm not going to put salt on him whatsoever. He's a really good hockey player. But he's also shooting 22.9%. That is not sustainable. I mean, if he was shooting his career rate, which is, you know, going into the season about 11%, you know, you're talking about a guy who has about 13 goals this year, which is a nice year, and he's going to get about 25 or so. Now, this year, he's probably going to get close to 40 or maybe even hit that 40 mark. While I'm okay. Be overpaid. Yeah. Right. And I don't, uh, listen, it's one thing to overpay him, but to overpay him and also give up assets for him, then he becomes prohibitively expensive for what he brings. This is, you know, this is, by the way, this is not McDavid. This is not a sniper, per se. I mean, he's never been. He's not Pasternak. He's not Ovechkin. No, he certainly isn't. But he's the only. He's the best player available that could really fill out that top line for the Islanders and let Barzell be Barzell. Yes. And that's where I'm focused on. I don't – look, I'm not a GM. I don't play one part-time. It's just what – it may. it's something that I've been thinking about I think it came up, you know, I think I brought it up and it's something that I'm also like, is it crazy? But I was talking to somebody else and they said that, you know, they were, they threw it in my head because it was something of, well, otherwise, how serious do you want to compete next year and use this window and extend it? And that's where we talked about Chikrin talked about Forsberg. Right. The problem, the problem with that is those if you use like if you if you sign Forsberg in the offseason, you could then theoretically trade for Chikrin. But if you trade for Chikrin now I'm sorry, if you trade for Forsberg now, pardon me, if you trade for Forsberg now and then sign him, you're using your cap and your assets to get one player and then I don't know if you have enough to get another player. You might be you might be That's right there. It really depends on what and and I'm not sure what will Arizona even get what they think what they're thinking on chicken okay okay so let's go back to what i said you're playing gm right now we're gonna role play okay because i love role playing and you're a sexy sexy man bd so let's do it oh, what you. uh what you're gm right now you're you're you, you are uh you're you're the puppet master with lou lamorello give me his uh and, and quickly let's get this uh this ball on the roll what what's his deadline move you want to see and what's his offseason move well the deadline moves would be to get assets it is so, to move specific. Give Zizekas, me one. Move Somebody might be willing to. His value at trade deadline could be. So yours is. Second, maybe so yours is late first. Okay, so trade Sezikis is yours. What's your What's your off season move? Um, clear out. To me, it's clear out the 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 some of the chaff. Who? You gotta you gotta move. Uh, you know, besides moving. Cal and no, I need, I need one. Petey, this is follow directions. Give just me one, one move. Yes, one, one, one move at the deadline and one move in the off season. Come on, man, the we're playing season, a game. Then, if you do that, then you have to use the off season to get in, to get Forsberg. Okay, so you're signing. So you're trading. Your yours is trade Sezikis to the deadline for a late one, and you're uh, you're signing Forsberg. Go ahead, Phil. 
The floor is I, yours. I mean, we'll have to save the Sezikis conversation for a different podcast, but I don't think Sezikis <laughs> has any trade value or that any team's wanting to trade for a guy with five years left at this point. Once you, a UFA is kind of like buying a car where once you take it out of the lot, it immediately has diminished value. Once you start driving your UFA, they have diminished value right away up until the very end where that contract's going to end. So my trade deadline move is simply to trade Cal Clutterbuck, right? He's top of my list, trade him. Sounds like Colorado might've interested him. Gesund to hate, as we say in Yiddish, go take him, give us a third round pick, whatever you want. I don't want Cal Clutterbuck on this team past the deadline, put Ross there, put whoever the hell there. Don't really care for the rest of the season. My off season move. I look at that Toronto deal. They just made Nick Ritchie is owed 4.4 million in real cash next year. Now I don't know that Arizona is necessarily going to hold on to Nick Ritchie, but they took Nick Ritchie for a 2025 conditional second round pick that they can opt to turn into a 2023 third round pick at the draft in 2023 if they want. If they are willing to take on Josh Bailey, who is owed, I'm sorry, Nick Ritchie's owed 3.4 million. Josh Bailey's owed 3.5 million against 5 million. So Ritchie, they're paying a premium for, Bailey would be a million and a half dollar discount. If they want to do that kind of deal and take Bailey, that is the first order of operations. So I can set myself up to bid on a Forsberg should he become available. I like it. My uh, my deadline move is trade Scott Mayfield because I do think that you'll get the moon for him. I think you can trade him at his highest. Um, yes, it'll create some issues for next year, but I just don't think Scott Mayfield is all that. I think he's ideally a bottom pair defenseman. He can eat minutes, and I think we can get multiple ones, possibly a couple of prospects in there as well. Uh, I just think you're with his contract, the fact that he has one year left on his deal, um, the fact that he's a right-handed defenseman, I think you can get the moon for him. So that's my deadline move for Lou. And my offseason move would have been Bailey as well, but I'll go off script here and I'll say um, Kevin Fiala. I, I love this kid. Um, I, I just think he's a special kind of player. I don't think Minnesota can sign him. And I think he would be the kind of speedy difference maker on the first line that we've been looking for. Sign me up. Yeah. I like Works it. for me. I like it. I like it. Well, guys, uh, anything else you guys want to leave us with before we uh, we put a bow on this, baby? I guess the only thing to say is once once we win the next four or five games without Barzell, we're going to truly understand what the underlying issue with the team was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Oh, by the way, I will throw this at you guys because this is another part of the whole Barry Trotz venting that I'm going to do. And this is where we vent, right? This is the one thing that drives me nuts. For as stubborn as Barry Trotz is with some of the veterans and leaving them in there and letting them work through their issues, the trigger, the the, the quick trigger on changing lines is just mind-boggling to me. I just can't imagine, I can't imagine like if you're, let's say the Bruins and you're looking at like that first line and thinking, let's say they have a, a bad six or seven game stretch. Would the coach ever be like, you know what, let's separate them. It's not working. And I... While I know these guys are NHL players and they work together and practice and stuff, having constantly different left wing and a different right wing and different center, that can't help the chemistry in this team. And I just don't get why Barry Trotz won't be like, okay, this is the line. I mean, we saw at the beginning of the season they had Palmieri on line one. That lasted like three games. And he didn't put it back until like game 41. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And the, the lines... Every line juggle that he's done has not really worked. 
So, and if it, and, and it's not really lasted. So, you know, it, it it's all the this season for him. It's been all the wrong moves. Yeah. And, and, and that's really the, the sad case of it. And as good as a coach as he is, hopefully there's going to be a look back at those habits and the things that did go wrong and in, improve upon it because, you know, I hope That's he holds the only way they can go forward. Yeah, I hope he holds himself accountable because I really think listen, I'm okay with changing lines because you think maybe, you know, maybe Kiefer Bellows could work on on Barzal's wing. But when you put like Cal Clutterbuck on the first line, there's no longevity there. What are you trying besides just basically having a temper tantrum and screaming and saying, I'm not happy with the guy way you guys are working, so I'm just gonna juggle the lines up. What's the point of that? What are we accomplishing well, when we put Cal Clutterbuck on line one? Well, it, and it might pay an immediate dividend but we saw very quickly it fell apart right the team didn't sustain anything so it didn't work i don't know phil what's your take on this and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye to everybody like we said the whole time he, he has not been throwing his best heat this year he went three years of near perfection getting the most juice out of this lemon as he possibly could and this year, for whatever reason, you, know, you don't want to speculate, but perhaps personal family life distraction got the better of him in some instances. And maybe that factors into a certain degree when, when you're dealing with that kind of event. But he just hasn't had it this season. And uh, we know the kind of coach he is. I'm confident that he's the best coach for this team moving forward, considering he knows these players, he knows their strengths. I'm hopeful, given the fact that he admittedly said that a lot of this is on him and the trust that he's had and people have gotten them there, him there before and has now resorted to scratching some of these key players that moving forward into next season, he won't ride a guy like Bailey, a guy like Chara, et cetera, when it's clearly not working. Well, that's going to do it for us, guys. It is settled. We'll have Kevin Fiala and Forsberg on the first line with Barzal next year. <laughs> Parisi will be back, but we're going to trade him for a one and then get him back anyway. It's it. going to be glorious, okay? All good times ahead. Uh, that is going to do it for us. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, if you like the show, tell your friends about it. Uh, subscribe if they can subscribe. Leave a review. You can always tweet us at Phil's Facts, at BD Gallop. I'm at Tuck on Sports. And uh, that's going to be it. Bye-bye, guys. Mm-hmm.